0: your taste in uh, the introductory musics is, uh, is very strange. I, I get a weird feeling when I listen to it.
1: <laughs> That's my friend, Philip Daniel. He He's a, a composer, um, a modernist. Well, I wouldn't say modernist, but yeah. Um, classical composer. And uh, his stuff is great. I use all of uh, his music for the, for the buffers when I do the solo stuff. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think, I don't know. We've, have we talked on a Twitter space on a Twitter space? I don't know.
0: No, but I always see you, you lurk. And uh, whenever I start talking about a uh, Spangler and the arts, you always do like the, the Soyak face, like the, the surprise <laughs> face and the, yeah. the thumbs up. So, so I could tell you were really uh, interested in that. So, uh, so yeah. here we are, right?
1: Here we are. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. And if I'm not listening, I'm probably listening on my all because certain spaces, um, I don't know. It just it wouldn't be optical for my main account to uh, to be. Oh, I see. You're yeah. practicing
0: good opsec, good operational security. Exactly. It's very very smart.
1: Well, every time you like enter, I don't know, like a Smead space or a Martin space, you know what you're gonna get. <laughs> but um, and of course, this, you know, going up on YouTube and anchor and all and well, no substance. Well, the way I do it is that the more spicier stuff we'll get into, uh, I will I will paywalls. So don't censor yourself. But I mean. Just like, you know, certain words on YouTube, you know, you probably know the drill. Um,
0: Yes, I I cannot talk about Spangler and what he says about uh, modern dance. So, yes, uh, this is good. He says it has certain uh, Africanized tendencies. (laughs) I I will not say this.
1: Well, we could talk about that. Yeah, we'll just have to uh, even the paywall. We'll have to dance around because it's funny how um, how, you know, uh, Baron Evola and Young both came to uh, similar conclusions about America. But, well, I think, like, I wanted to ask you about um, Spengler's writing on Russia as well and um, the second religiousness. But anyway, so let's do the introduction. I, I'm curious to ask you because I think, I remember this must have been, I want to say, during or before, I'm not going to say for you. T- I think you could say, C- yeah, let's call it the C-Vidian era. I noticed your account and... Um, so I, I usually ask the general introduction question. So who are you, Spurgler Acolyte? What do you do? How did you venture onto um, this thing of ours, the e right And we could get into the questions about like what, um, from your perspective, uh, the sort of purpose. And uh, while well, the purpose and like what your purpose is, but also like the direction and purpose of, I would say like the e right in general, or if you even want to call it that, because I like the online right because all the other names have either like negative connotations or they've outlived their usefulness. Even like this term, dissident right, is uh, you know yes. not exactly apt. Uh,
0: I prefer the uh, the radical central uh, centrists. We are uh, radically central. So, so
1: uh, yeah, the sensible centrists. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> uh, very centrist. My beliefs.
1: Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, sure.
0: I, I can get into this. So i guess for me i I wasn't even a part of any of this until maybe about uh, a year ago for me uh i I was reading spangler in in 2019 that's when i kind of maybe 2018 2019 is when i first came across him and up until 2020 i had been kind of reading him rather in depth and then uh at some point in in 2021 i i discovered uh bap's show but i didn't even know about this whole twitter scene until maybe even like a year after discovering Bap's show. And uh, once I had found that, I was like, oh, well, this is perfect. And maybe I can make uh, this account and people will listen to my, uh, whatever I have to say on Spangler, because I've been reading him so in depth. And uh, well, oh, yeah. it, it seems like there is there is a bit of an appetite now. Although I, I don't know if I'm exhausting it now. You know, these things, they, they come in cycles, right? So uh, we, where are we on the Spangler cycle? I don't know.
1: I, I noticed there's some pushback by certain people not to name names because some of them are friends of mine, but there has been sort of like, um, exhausting something like the Spangler research into like, Oh, what well, are we talking about Spangler now? It's like back in 2015, we were talking about Evola and Gunyan. Now it's like, now it's Spangler, but yeah, um, I
0: will name the names, uh, theognis of Magara doggo <laughs> supremacy. Uh, I know who you
1: are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good, good friends of ours. Good friends of ours. But, uh, it's funny, though, so you didn't come in like you weren't even lurking, I guess, at the original time of uh, Frog Twitter. You no.
0: Yeah. yeah, I had no idea about any of this. This is all new to me. I still don't understand half of it.
1: Yeah, that's very true, because it, it I was talking to a friend of mine who um, who, who was talking about this because he's like, well, oh, Gio, you know, you know so much about this deep lore. And I go, it's, it's sort of it's very interesting when you come in the middle of something and you can parse out like you can get a sense of like old rivalries it very much is like if you started up uh, i don't know watching monday Night raw again it's like oh like this is (laughs) this is who is an alliance and this is who's uh you know in in a storyline together um but that's interesting though that you have sort of fresh eyes on the perspective of it and how would you contextualize um this thing of ours like what's your opinion of like being i would say you're Coming more into the center of it as a poster as a writer, um at least in my opinion. Uh, so what's your perspective on, <laughs> yeah, the current state and the future of this thing of ours?
0: well, there's there's a lot of divisions, right? Um uh, the past few nights, uh, our good friend uh, the fisher king, he's been he's been having quite a few glasses of wines and beers, and he's been letting loose <laughs> on these Twitter spaces. And he's been giving us his uh you know unfiltered opinions on the Amar nights, essentially. And uh, he, he's not a fan. And, and there's a, the, these serious divisions that I see. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know what's going to be, like what the end goal is or, or what's going to come of it. I, I think a lot of people are going to go the normie route and they're just going to be a part of this new wave of like right wing Tucker Carlson, normie, uh, you know, non-anonymous Twitter accounts, that sort of sphere versus yeah. the more Anon, Amar Knight, perhaps Fear—that that is just purposefully edgy and uh, I, I certainly consider myself more on, more on the latter side. I don't really have uh, I don't really care about getting a retweet from uh, Jack Poso, whatever his name is.
1: But it's funny because from my perspective, like I am not an Anon, like I am a face right? Um, and I use my real name, but it is interesting because I do have a lot of underlying sympathies towards the Anons. I mean, the the anons, in my opinion, are vital and integral to this, not just this thing of ours, but the way in which communication on the internet has manifested. And I think, I mean, we'll get to, sp- of course, like the whole topic of this is Spangler. Um, but in terms of like the E-right, I do notice that there is starting to create this division between, you know, for lack, not, not just them, but like for lack of a better term, let's say the Amarnites, um, Bappian Vitalism. Uh, the the e-word that i'm not sure i could say on youtube and maybe i could censor it out so don't don't censor yourself but um you know uh i noticed that there's a division between that and in sort of older uh traditionalists and religious types which i'm more aligned on but yet i mean man i i've survived so long just being a fence sitter in some ways but do you notice that this division is sort of it was there back in the day, but I noticed that now it's reached new heights that these like younger Zoomer uh, anime posters have come into the mix. And a lot of their criticisms, I think, are valid, obviously, of a lot of the older iterations of the online right in terms of certain, um, let's call them dilettante flights of fancy into things like third worldism and um, a heck and wholesome based in a woods uh, you know, Pol pot or whatever. So, you know, um, but maybe it's just relitigating old old battles. I mean, what's your, cer- certainly like, uh, how do you feel about the certain, the current divisions of things?
0: Well, I think a lot of it comes down to like generational divides. I think uh, this younger generation, which I guess I'm a part of, or not guess, but am, uh, the way we see things are just very different than some of like the, the old guard, right? Uh, I think the old guard, had their coming of age on the internet on a very different era yeah. in which um, it was more based on on forums, right? Forums and things of that nature, but also a time in which uh, the internet wasn't the totality of life, that you know, these people were still doing things uh, IRL, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, my generation, I think so much of our socialization uh, was completely online. And consequently, that has certain you know effects on our development, the, the things that we're interested in are just extremely different. You know, one of the uh, most recent uh, episodes of drama that I've been involved with was like the the whole Medgold affair. Oh, and God. there, there, there's like a lot of people in my generation, and I understand where they're coming from, where they just do not want any sort of Medgoldian discourse, um, because they see it as just inherently uh coomer right That that's like well, what I it really mean, comes down to
1: full disclosure i mean i i do as well i'm not a fan of uh but without i mean it's pretty public but yeah go ahead go ahead Spurgler. go ahead yeah
0: i mean yeah the, the the critique is that this is like a sort of uh, coomer behavior um and i mean i don't want to get into like the the psychologizing of it too much i mean there are certainly some aspects where uh, the younger ones are, are very correct that uh, we live in a disgusting dysgenic country with a lot of ugly people. It makes it makes sense, and that's going to have certain effects on, on uh, like, the dating pool. Oh, yeah. But uh, the the other side of it is just like, uh, as cringe as it is to say, you know, the, they just don't want to have a normal one. It's uh, <laughs> you know, they just don't, and, and I understand why. But uh, the older ones, they do kind of want to have a normal one, and and. That's something that they'll probably never get out of. It's just too ingrained in their development. It's too late for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's true. I mean, I'm, I'm, I like to. I don't know if I'm that special, but I'm sort of a, an old head, you know, low thirty year old millennial boomer that uh, never had a normal one. So maybe I'm in a unique position. But I understand what you mean. I think that there, there is a logical middle ground. I mean, oh god i know it sounds cringe but there's a logical middle ground i think between the excesses of like that type of posting that converge into kumarism and the very valid critiques of a lot of these zoomers a lot of these incel twos that uh and listen i i know listen okay i know atrazine griper made that term up as a joke okay but i still think it's a valid term um the Uh, but like a lot of them do have a valid critique of the sort of mindset that a lot of the older millennials have and they probably don't get it because they're so instantiated in this generational crossover between the quote-unquote before times and the wired right the i don't know if you have you ever watched lane's burglar are you a lane fan you lane Uh, i
0: i am not although i have many friends who uh, are upset at me that i i don't watch as much anime as i used to so
1: oh yeah but yeah, you know what, yeah, I, I think you were getting at an essential truth though, that there is this divide. And I think that um there's obviously critiques of the other side as well. Um, but it, it is Yeah, it is is a very sticky topic because a lot of people have their instantiated you know, instantiated opinions and there's validity to them. And I the problem I have though is I think that, you know, and the recent drama revealed this, is that I feel like just saying that, well, you know, the incels need to have a normal one. Uh, these younger Zoomers need to just like, I don't know, um, go down the path of youth culture that has been created by the boomers that was instantiated by the Gen Xers and millennials. I, I don't think that's the answer. But then again, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe I, I'm just being too deferential. But I think that there's obviously a reason, and this is a good bridge to, sp- to Spangler as well, there's obviously a reason as to why um the certain manifestations of youth culture on the internet age are the way they are. And uh and, but what are your thoughts on this? I'm 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 just rambling right now. So
0: I mean I don't have any I don't know. I try to stay away from from some of this and I just try to be a, a humble Spangler poster in a lot of ways. Yeah. If I wanna like try and like connect it to Spangler, I mean I don't know. maybe later on we can talk about what Spengler says about like having children and like when 100%. it becomes well here I'll, I'll give the the skinny of it right now so what spengler says is that um, the reproduction of any species cannot be something rationalized that yeah. you know the the bugs and stuff that go out into the wild and just fornicate and and reproduce endlessly in this eternal cycle they're not thinking about it you know animals don't have any sort of you know rational faculties for them to kind of uh you know evaluate the pros and cons of, of reproduction. Um if they did they would surely say, oh, this will be like a burden or a waste of time and therefore I shouldn't do it. And then consequently, that logic basically destroys the species. Yes. And what Spengler is saying is that a certain point in, in a culture's development, it becomes too rational. That rational faculty becomes dominant. Um, and that's how you start to get like the decline in that birth rate, because in some sense you could just say we're too smart for our own good. We're thinking of it too hard. Um, we're trying to apply some sort of logical principles to something that has to stand outside of logic, because it's just a part of an eternal a uh, rational cycle, not irrational, but just a rational mm-hmm. outside of it. And uh, what happens is, you know, culture too smart for their own good to uh, kind of economic in a lot of ways, like calculating pros and cons benefits and costs and you know uh, the calculus that comes up is that like having kids is expensive it's a lot of work and uh, therefore you should just kind of uh, drop out in a lot of ways and that's how we see kind of uh, the decline of the birth rate because we're no longer a people really uh, you know guided by instincts natural instincts that all just animals have on like a zoological level just to continue the species um, but I, I don't know if we can say that this new generation is, uh, you know, Spengler's like last man somehow, like you know, becoming uh, incels to like drop out. Like this is some sort of uh, indicator of Spenglerian destiny. But there might be something to it. There, there is certainly a, a rationalizing aspect of it because what you know, think about like what having a normal one really means. Isn't right. that just like instincts? why is it normal because it's instinctual in a lot of ways and you know what the I don't mean, what what, do we, what what's like our phrase here are we calling to them just like the incels? these are my people I don't want to insult them uh, let's uh, say,
1: um well I, I like the term true so but let's say uh, <laughs> sensitive young men there you go that's the Sen-
0: all- sensitive young men that's exactly mm-hmm. right sensitive young men they're thinking about it you know like I said earlier they're looking at the dating pool they're doing the cost and analysis mm-hmm. like how much the cost and benefit analysis, Right. Uh how much effort am I gonna to have to put into this? What am I gonna get out of it? I'm not gonna get much out of it because the you know prospects are extremely poor because everybody's not that great looking anymore. So I don't know. There there's definitely some reasons for it. People aren't so guided by their instincts anymore for well, for the worst in the long run, I guess. I don't know.
1: Well, it's funny because like this well, we'll get to the work of art, but in terms of like the individual subject, Spangler talks about how um, there still will be people on the end stages of civilization in terms of how reason uh, to use a Deleuzean term reason overcodes codes itself um, and there's to me I, I mean writing my book currently on a neoliberal catch um, I, I have this whole big chapter on Spangler and that's why I wanted to bring you on because I'm like well I'm doing a lot of Spangler research so it's perfect time that I need to, to talk to a, to SA but I noticed that there is this through line between even like a more of a, you know, mar- Marxist, let's say, Theodore Adorno-Horkheimer analysis of instrumental reason and, of course, Heidegger. And you you explained this once in a Twitter space about how Heidegger uh, was actually a reader of Spengler. And I think they, I don't know if they had any communication, but certainly this critique of instrumental reason is apt. But Spengler said that there will be people that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but there will be still people that have this sort of romanticist ideal or still want to cling to nature. Um, the work of art's full of this. You know, in modernism, you have like Gogan and to an extent Picasso. And um, then later uh, people like Mark Tobey uh, that want to reconnect to sort of a a picture of vitalistic nature. But I, I think that the, the sensitive young man is probably... Um, Cause like when you, when I, I see like a lot of the anime posters that talk about love and romance and they talk about how there is this lack of a grand narrative. I think that's why they love anime. And I think that's why like um, people can't understand it because the, the sort of romanticism between men and women that are offered by the uh, you know, certain higher brow forms of anime and manga, I think, I mean, maybe I'm, we're just intellectualizing it here. But there's a grand, there's a grandness to it that was unique to the Western spirit. But now that has sort of soured over. Uh, a lot of like millennial 2010s, you know, what does my friend Catherine D call it? Like 2010 mm-hmm. A lot of that was just um we're still living in like sort of the the radiation of it, you know. <laughs> but yeah, go go ahead, sprinkle. What, what do you think of? Uh, my analysis, there, you know.
0: This is uh, this is interesting. Did Spangler uh, predict the anime waifus? I don't know. Maybe. Um, maybe. uh, on the question of of nature, that is an interesting point. One of the things that Spangler says, um, kind of indicates some sort of transition. So, in Spangler, I guess I should say for the audience, there's what Spangler is doing is kind of an analysis of the development or the the, the archetype really of a culture. Yes, And essentially, it goes from almost like a pre-rational, intuitive um, basis. And it usually is developing some sort of aesthetic idea. And it's manifest in all of its art, its mathematics, its architecture, uh, its philosophy, and so on. And once it kind of uh, actualizes this inherent idea within it, uh, there's just not really a whole lot left to do in that culture. And uh, consequently, things slow down, productions of great art uh, essentially drop off the map, and uh, eventually the culture dies. One of the, the distinctions that Spangler makes is the distinction between culture or just culture, and civilization right, civilization. mm mm-hmm. um, And essentially, the difference there is between the organic and the inorganic. So when a culture is still young, it's still organic, it's still producing. Um, For Spangler, it's still becoming. He has this dichotomy between becoming versus the become. Uh, And once an idea is kind of apotheosized within its art or within its its philosophy, it reaches its apex. It reaches the become. Uh, But once you hit that, there's just, again, not a whole lot left to do. And one of the things that spengler says kind of indicates that transition from culture to civilization um there's a few things so he says there's like the the uh, the Socratic man who comes in and begins to rationalize like all the older culture forms mm-hmm. so you know we think of Socrates and how his dialogue of Socrates yeah exactly one that's one of the big things that spengler takes from Nietzsche is this idea of the Socratic man that you see in the the birth of tragedy and then also the beginning of um I can't remember if it's the Antichrist or if it's the Twilight of the Isles. I think it's Twilight of the Isles. Twilight Ice. of
1: the Isles, yes. Yeah. Socrates specifically. Yep.
0: So think of, think of how Socrates is portrayed in, in Plato's dialogues, right? So Socrates being an annoying little bat comes up to some random little Greek guys and says, uh, so what is justice? Like, What do you think justice is? And, you know, he w- whoever he's asking you would just kind of... Re- is?
1: You would think that people would tell us our producers asked the law (laughs) givers.
0: Tucker Carlson. Is he a Socratic man? I don't know, Mm
1: -hmm. but uh, you
0: know, doubtless some Greek would just kind of prattle on about whatever, you know, folk wisdom he had been given about what justice is. And then Socrates would just tear it to shreds. Right. That's Mm -hmm. literally the dissolution of older culture forms. Um, You know, innate ideas of like what our culture says justice is or what beauty is Socrates just comes in and he doesn't even offer any real answers right Right. everything ends in um uh aporia right some sort of exactly like disagreement uncertainty kind of like a standstill uh there's no actual production of getting somewhere new it's just constant disagreement and uncertainty and that's the dissolution of older culture forms um and at least in in the West, so Spangler says that uh, a cult of nature kind of crops up as a result of this in a, a lot of different places or all like the different uh, major cultures or civilizations. Um, so the the Socratic men that he kind of points out, so it's Buddha for the Indians. um it's Socrates obviously for for mm-hmm. the Greeks. He says it's Rousseau for the modern Faustian West. That's also mm-hmm. an important point for your listeners. Um Spangler says that the, the Greco-Roman civilization is different from the modern uh, Western European civilization, that one is characterized by this Apollonian ideal, while the other is characterized by a Faustine striving. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, sorry, yeah, Rousseau does uh, is this kind of call back to nature to say that. Uh, Our culture, our society is, (laughs) we live in a society. Rousseau is the original, we live in a society, right? He's problematizing (laughs) it. And he's like wanting to go back to nature with his kind of thought experiment of like, uh, of man in the state of nature, even though we know now it's just complete fantasy. It's not even the general will.
1: Yeah. Even the general will of Rousseau, um, when I was in grad school, these were questions, uh, having to relitigate in political philosophy. Um, But even like the general will is sort of like a capitulation of the way that tribal societies were to sort out their own, um, how shall I call it, their own nomos, if you will. Like, you know, in Egypt, they had mahat, um, the Greeks had nomos, like their own set of law that is in some ways like a collective unconscious that instantiates the rule. But of course, like the way that the sort of like stick way that Rousseau like goes about it, about the general will. Um, And of course, people read Proto-Marxism into it as well. But yeah, go ahead. That's a diversion. Go ahead. Yeah, Uh,
0: absolutely. And I think that's actually an interesting thing to bring up, that distinction between nomos, um, which for the Greeks kind of just means like law or custom. It's something that like a social structure will kind of institute, but isn't necessarily natural. And that's uh, compared against uh, uh, phusis, right? Which is kind of understood as just like actual nature. And uh, there's kind of like this return to actual nature because we no longer have any sort of firm grounding for Nomos to stand, right? Like the right. Socratic man he kind of uh, deracinates, if we want to use the, the Ryan Gosling term. I love those edits, by the way, of all the, the Ryan Gosling stuff. <laughs> from <laughs> but, the believer, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He
1: deracinates, write it down, deracinates. <laughs> a, <laughs> yeah. a person drives a genius from the land.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love Oh,
1: that. yeah. I reviewed him uh, accrued, by the way. That's why I keep, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I need to make some sort of edit of that about uh, Ryan Gosling compa- uh, complaining about the Socratic man and his deracinating. That would be a it'd be fun. <laughs> There's a lot of meme opportunities with the Spangler stuff. So, oh yeah, but um, right, he he deracinates like the the the, uh, you know the I don't is it nomad no not nomadic I don't know what like the the adjective is for nomos. He he gets rid of In the nomos. My... Right, he kind of. Yeah he kind of shreds it uh, to bits. And uh, what do you have left other than just kind of a return back to the, uh, to the frightening nature. And that's just the issue with Rousseau is that he just didn't quite understand nature.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what Spengler said. It's like you, man will return to the soil Um, in in the chapter of my book, which hopefully you'll, you know, you'll get to read maybe next year. um, I talk about how, uh, and it talked about the section, second religiousness as well, how, man returning to the soil in a way is sort of like nowadays we're reenacting this, like, I would say primitive form of atomization, but in like a high tech society, uh, sexuality and sexual mores being like totally detached from what they were like, that's one example. Um, the artwork that is, uh, accompanied by our current civilization, which I call neoliberal catch is like an example of this returning to the earth returning. I mean, even the whole, um, mania over environmentalism and this sort of existential threat of, you know, environmental catastrophe. I hate that word, by the way, because it's it comes from, like, uh, you know, bug men philosophers like Nick Bostrom. But existential th- security is, like, this, you know, total ni- annihilation via um, this, like, primitive Earth worship. is quite interesting how in, like, a, you know, the digital civilization that we're living in, how this, like, returns back to form. Um, but Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just butchering the whole concept of Spangler. But what do you think of this? Uh,
0: Thomas Kincaid is the future. uh, (laughs) uh, I I really think.
1: Yeah,
0: I I think in a lot of ways, um, it's kind of. I don't know. It's like almost like a feverish. Like there's a way in which you can kind of look at like a, a Thomas Kincaid painting and it not be kitsch, but almost be like nightmarish. Yeah. Imagine if like that was the world that we actually lived in. Um, It's just so like incongruent to the world that we live in. It would almost like feel like all this like overt, sentimental beneficence in the art is actually under, you know, it's covering something very dark. Like, yeah. Imagine going into the forest behind the nice uh, Kinkade- painting of a cabin like what sort of monsters you would actually see and that's uh i don't know it's like that movie something dark in the art
1: yeah yeah no but even like when when you talk about the gadfly of reason uh, and spangler taking from nietzsche it, it's almost like what nietzsche says about the what what dialogue was it it may have been the protagoras where by the time you get to the you know socrates as a character of plato now you have the sort of imparting of this detached from nature form of reason by plato so for example i believe correct me if i'm wrong if it's not the protagoras it was some other dialogue where they're talking about mathematics and um plato's character socrates says well you know everyone can get it like look at the slave boy and there's this whole like academic literature around the slave boy in socratic studies. but he's like he asks the slave boy this complex mathematical question and the slave boy gets it And it's, like, this demonstration of Plato that it's, like, well, see, everyone can get this, like, source of originary reason. And, like, the form of reason is imparted into everybody. And, of course, Nietzsche's, like, well, no, actually, if it was actually ancient Greece. Because, you know, Nietzsche being a philologist. um, He's, like, if this was real, if this was actually ancient Greece, um, I don't think, uh, you know, a surf boy would get access to, like, advanced... Uh, Pythagorean uh, mathematical education. I don't know if that's true or not. Like that's, you
0: know. well, yeah, that's so that's the 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 Meno dialogue or the meno, the meno, yeah, the Minno, yeah. yeah, So the idea there being that there's some sort of um, remembering, right? For Plato, uh, knowledge is something that you kind of remember based yeah. off of like your, your past lives, or it's something it's like a harkening back to what the soul already knows. I mean so that sense, it's already something intuitive. Uh, and perhaps we could even say that it's not something that is just the product of culture that it's you know there's like the the platonic ideal out there or whatever platonic knowledge out there wherever out there is right and you can kind of uh, access it I guess in some ways that is like a kind of um, a kind of fusis some sort of call back to you know base nature but then always the question is like whether or not they actually correctly ascertained like what base nature is and Obviously, people like Nietzsche and Schopenhauer would say uh, no; they did not get it correctly. That you know, base nature is perhaps the will, and uh, there's this inherent struggle and warring going on. Um, and Spengler will, you know, give his own two cents on it at some point, saying that that's just how Faustian man or Western man perceives it. And uh, each you know culture has its own sense of being that differs from the others, and consequently, mm-hmm. you have very different metaphysics that emerge within uh, each culture
1: yes exactly and also i think to to go back a little bit um because i will i want to ask you about spangler and uh, multiculturalism which i might have to paywall. but um, uh you you talked about how the original creation of civilization rather a culture that reaches its apex in a civilization in a unified form spangler talks about the form of the formless what is spangler's theory of the creation of that now I know he talks about the great man but it seems that Spangler um the reason that modern academia and modern history departments discard him because well just for the fact that he's a grand thinker on almost a metaphysical level but also like his view of history is incredibly verboten in terms of what creates that civilization what wrestles what he calls like the energies of nature into being um because nowadays it's like uh, there's no more great man it's like, uh, who, what did the peasantry do? What did, what did the, the towel boy, uh, the Roman towel boy, what do they do? Uh, that's what really matters in history departments nowadays. Right. Um, you know, Mary Beard talking about how Rome was like the first, uh, Canadian multicultural model of civilization. Yeah.
0: Apparently yeah. there were a lot of African guards in, in Britain. I didn't know yeah. this. Thank you. Thank you, this. Mary Beard. Very useful.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I guess your, your question, uh, could you just like say your question again? Just more.
1: What is Han- what is Spangler's theory of the creation of civilization? Who does it uh, or okay. what does it? Yeah. yeah.
0: So uh, here's the thing with Spangler. So Spangler, he creates this sort of, I guess, opposition of mind that there are different faculties at play in order to understand two very different things. So on the one hand, you have systems you have laws you have causality right. on the other hand you have more of these artistic ideas these flashing images and you don't have laws but you have what's the the term he uses you kind of have these uh, these analogies in a lot of ways yeah In the early part of volume one of decline of the West, he's creating this opposition between the physio, the physiognomist versus the systematist. And there's two very different, again, things at play here. On the one hand, you have uh, he's trying to kind of ascertain like the inner character of certain cultures and civilizations while uh, the the systematist is trying to create like these causal laws. So when right. we speak of like what causes like a culture to be born, Spangler is going to say, uh, you can't actually operate under this principle of causality in order to understand what I'm really getting at, that there, there are no sort of causes. Um, things just kind of happen in a certain way. And it's not to say that there aren't necessarily causes, but it's just not what Spangler interested in. So like, let's, um, uh, one of the things that Spengler is doing in Decline of the West is he's relying on Goethe's work on plant morphology. Yes. And yes. for plant morphology, uh, if you look at what Goethe is saying, um, he's not interested in, like, oh, what causes the plant to grow. He, he doesn't care about that. Um, what he's really interested in is the de- different developmental stages that all plants go through. To say that, you know, all plants go through a roughly analogous life cycle, and we can kind of ascertain this inner character of the you know the archetypal you know course of a plant's growth. Spengler's doing the exact same thing. He's just interested in that. Yeah. Um but you still do get some sort of uh, sense of what it is that kind of precipitates a culture's birth. Um so partly it's uh the geography from which it comes. So Spengler mm. he says that cultures are like plants that are rooted in a particular soil into which that soil they, they remain uh, their entire lives. And the local geography essentially dictates uh, the culture's sense of aesthetics, its sense of space, its sense of time. Oh, yes. for, the, for the West, it was born in the, the dark and brooding forests of Germany and, and Western Europe broadly this is where we get the birth of kind of like the Gothic. So you think of like uh, the black forest in Germany and kind of like the, the grim brothers, fairy tales and all of that
1: mm-hmm. extremely
0: dark, extremely brooding. And you, you look up at the the canopy of these tall trees and these ancient forests, and you see that sense of verticality right above you. And that's we where striving striving
1: to go up. Yeah.
0: Yes, exactly. That, that striving vertical tendency is innate in, in the modern West. Um, you contrast this to all the other different, uh, cultures, you know, Spengler says that, uh, for, for Greco Roman civilization or culture that, uh, it's local geography was the, the Greek archipelagos, all these tiny little bodies or islands kind of strewn about in the Aegean. And consequently you get a certain world feeling a certain, uh, I don't want to get into the soul image stuff, but yeah, a certain world feeling of the body and nearby space that because it was kind of born in that particular geography, that's going to be the central idea that it's working out for the rest of its history. Right. And you definitely see that on full display. Um, You know, the Greeks were obsessed with the body in a lot of ways. Uh, Obviously Spangler, he's arguing that uh, for Greek art, it really hit its apotheosis with uh, the sculptors and the the golden age of Athenian sculptors, people like Phidias and, and Myron and the likes. The, mm. the polycletus statue especially so uh that's really i guess i hope that answers the question just kind of like, oh, yeah. it's like the, the local geography there's also this element of uh of death anxiety so you know Spengler he's likening these cultures also to humans and you think of like a, a young child who's born who's having like night terrors and, and nightmares and you see that as well with an early culture like think about some of uh the art from from early from the early faustian west um you can think of, uh, gosh, his, his name's escaping me, but the, the one who does like all those like nightmarish hellscapes here uh, oh, Bosch. Bosch? Yeah. 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 You think of his art and uh, it's a nightmare, right? That's kind of indicative indicative of a, of a earlier culture. And you think of some of like the older, um, you know, things that were being worked out with in like the, the nine hundreds and around 1000 AD, which is like the real birth of the Faustian West. It's complete uh, mythologies, uh, mythical. The, the mythical conscious uh, structure is still very much at play. There's, you know, monsters and dragons and, and 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 knights and the Holy Grail, all sorts of just like mythologizing at play. It's a mm-hmm. it's a sort of imagination that a young child has, but an old man does not.
1: Yes, exactly. And also there's some inkling of great man in there that become, uh, you know, the legacy of a great man lives on through their through their um their their infamy in a way their creation their spirit um it's like their own i guess i remember bap talking about this with the ancient greek ideal of like how a great man lives on almost like a proto form of celebritydom but it's something that becomes mythologized over time um you know and of course you could trace this back to nietzsche but that's very interesting because that grates uh, with a lot of, like, modern, I mean, what what do, like, the modern history departments, what do they feel about the creation of civilization? That it's, like, this, you know, like, mushy, liberal ideas-based thing that is, like, rationalized into existence. Um, I mean, and also, like, why has Spangler been so kicked out of even study in, in, like, let alone history departments, but also, like, even just um, culture studies and philosophy and so forth? Um, yeah i mean apart from him well apart from the <laughs> connotations with the far right but you know apart from that.
0: yeah uh, it's, it's a good question so first um as to like what modern academics say about like the development of complex societies i don't really know i don't pay attention uh to them enough i mean i i would assume they would just say something stupid like it's uh born out of some sort of like economic like necessity like mm-hmm. uh some sort of like argument of like specialization and improving lives I guess in a lot of ways it's like very um, it's like Adam Smith right everyone needs to like specialize and then trade uh, you know it's very yeah. capitalist in a lot of ways but I can't say that with certainty because I don't even know if anybody even writes like on this sort of level I mean I guess like you've got uh, who's like Yuval Noah Harari who's trying oh to yes use... yeah. yeah well if that's if that's our you know our modern historian of, of civilization, then that says a lot about where we are. Uh, you know, a, ancient Persia was created to eat the bugs. We needed, we had to eat the bugs, or India was created <laughs> to eat the bugs. Like yeah. we, we had too many bugs and we needed to eat them more efficiently. So we had to create civilization. I'm sure that's something that you've all, Noah Harari would argue. Okay.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: WEF guy. Now, uh, well, so, okay. Then, why uh, academics don't like Spangler? Yeah. So, the issue with Spangler, this goes back to um, this question of causality versus uh, the physiognomist. Right. You know, for Spangler, all of this is, it's kind of like it's art criticism in a lot of ways, it's judgment. Oh, very much so. There's no sort of, um, you know, very rigorous and methodical approach you can take. Uh, a lot of this is just based on, on intuition that when you, you know, see a, you know, a Western painting that you can kind of intuit certain characteristics of it and that you can kind of uh, create some sort of synthesis in your mind about how it connects to the rest of the art. He's, you know, kind of creating these, uh, these judgments and he's, you know, drawing the line in the sand uh, in a particular way, but uh, you know, there's no like real way to necessarily, agree or dis or I mean you can agree or disagree but there's no way to kind of definitively prove right so if you say like oh Spangler he's saying that uh the you know the he's judging certain aspects of uh when you think of an example well, let's just say like you look at like western painting right and Spangler's making the argument that there's something very unique going on with the west that it's the first civilization to create really this emphasis on perspectivism right, right. a vanishing point uh, these lines that seemingly um, can extrapolate into the infinite. You know, that's like, a. I mean, I guess you can kind of prove it, but what it really comes down to is some sort of uh, like a judgment. Like when I see the painting, I can kind of agree with that. Like, oh yeah, I, I see exactly what Spangler's is talking about. And then I can also notice like, oh, these other civilizations, uh, that when I look at their art, doesn't have that. I don't see that. Right. But like that's like the sort of thing that uh, academics really like, um, especially those of, of like history departments and philosophy. You know, I think maybe uh, more of like the, the art criticism people would be kind of open to it because they're not, oh, yeah. you know, they don't have a, a stick as far up their ass. But um, that's part of it. You know, a lot of people complaining that Spangler did not correctly ascertain the uh, the prime symbol of each of these cultures, like that their their inherent symbolism others would go about saying oh but we have these examples that uh, indicate some sort of different symbolism at play and because Spengler would say that this is a part of the west but the you know there's a discrepancy here therefore yeah. Spengler's whole idea is, is completely wrong which is like a very you know you're it's very pettifogging you're kind of losing uh, the whole forest by focusing on, on the one tree so
1: it's very much like black swan, like petty, like, Oh, this counter example is like, exactly. This, yeah. Yeah. There was yeah. one black man in medieval Britain and therefore, you know, and
0: therefore uh, Mary Beard is completely right. And we have to buy her books.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, because no, but it is funny though, because when, you know, I, I studied for years, um, a lot of art from the East, a lot of literati painting, and there is a, a degree of infinite space that is there but there's a, a totally different purpose to the, you know, the Chinese and Japanese um, sumi ink paintings, in terms of the perspective and the depth of it, than say the full presence of being you get in Western painting, uh, where mm-hmm. three dimensionality is like everything until you get up to the Impressionists. But they have a different form of depth and perspective that, in some ways, of course, was influenced by the East with Habonism, and they were, you know, getting various woodcuts. Uh, you know Ukiyu woodcuts from japan and so forth but yeah but so to go along this it, it's i guess spangler of course he isn't like nietzsche he's not like this you know grand hist- <laughs> he he doesn't purport like a historiography that is exactly like succinct and contained within its own world it's very much like he cross cuts through a lot of distinctions um but how would you get to what really crystallizes Faustian man to Spengler in the decline of the West? Like he's obviously pro-Germanic, um, you know, I, but he's not, he doesn't discard the sort of uh, the influence of the Mediterranean, you know, my peoples, but uh, he very much is saying that Faustian man specifically comes from like this sort of Northern European Germanic uh, influence or
0: yeah. Yeah, so one of the things that Spengler talks a, a lot about in Volume 1, Decline of the West, is um, he's trying to undo a certain historical schema. He says the, the ancient medieval modern schema in which we see this continuation of themes and ideas from classical antiquity, you know, Greco-Roman civilization, through the medieval period, and then kind of a rebirth in the Renaissance, and then that somehow also influences what we see today. Spangler, he's tearing that entire idea to shreds, uh, he mm. wants to separate all those things out into completely different uh, things. So Spangler saying that, um, you know, for him, like what a what really defines a culture is the birth of a new idea that is, again, manifest in all of its productions, art, history, or art, philosophy, mathematics, architecture, etc. And insofar as you can ascertain a new sort of prime symbol, thereof there is a you know new culture. So you're completely right in saying that uh, Spengler sees uh, the modern Faustian West as something separate from uh, Greco-Roman civilization. Um, and, you know, whereof the Greco-Roman civilization is really birthed in the the Mediterranean. Um, you know, the Germanics are really the ones kind of leading Faustian civilization or where it really gets going uh, again in the the dark and brooding forests of Germany. And that's really what uh, characterizes Faustian man for Spangler, this yearning for the infinite that you see in these tall trees. Although I would add the, there's also a, like a Norse element to it. You think of like a, like a, like a, a Norseman, you know, sailing out into the ocean, seeing these vast, um, fjords and the infinite sea in front of you. And that also has to just be some part of the uh, Faustian man's experience of space, mm-hmm. you know, extreme horizons uh, of the infinite um, extreme depth. Like just think about like, uh, you know, the sort of sense of space and air, You know, the mist inside of a fjord that you might see um, it's extremely powerful. And it's not something you get in like a more Southern Mediterranean climate. Uh, and consequently, again, there's a lot of broodiness. And um, if you don't mind, I can I can actually read a, no, go ahead. a little bit. Trying to see. So I think this is where Spangler, he's talking about kind of the difference between, let's see, I want to make sure I, I have this correct. Yes, I do. The difference between kind of a Homeric sense of the individual versus, or sorry, a Greek sense of the individual versus what the, uh, the Faustine West sees. And for the Faustine yeah. West... That's the most important thing, the individual. So it's the individual point in, uh, in infinite space, the, the sense of infinite smallness um, in this broader context of the infinitely large. Now I'm reading here. The accents are you reading? Of, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm reading now. The accents of the Homeric hexameter are the soft rustle of a leaf in the midday sun, the rhythm of matter. But the Stabreim. sorry, I don't know any German, like potential energy in the world pictures of modern physics create a tense restraint in the void without limits Night nightstorms above the high peaks and it's swaying uh, without limits sorry and its swaying indefiniteness all words and things dissolve themselves it is the dynamics not the statics of language the same applies to the grave rhythm of media vita in morte sumus here is heralded the color of rembrandt in the instrumentation of beethoven Here, infinite solitude is felt as the home of the Faustian soul. And then he goes on. Lost in the limitless, it appears with its inharmonious gods and heroes, the supreme symbol of solitude. Siegfried, Parzival, Tristan, Hamlet, and Faust are the loneliest heroes in all the cultures. Read the wondrous awakening of the inner life in Wolfram's Parzival, the longing for the woods, the mysterious compassion the ineffable sense of forsakenness it is all faustian and only faustian every one of us knows it the motive returns with all its profundity in the easter scene of faust one a longing pure and not to be described drove me to wander over woods and fields and in a mist of hot abundant tears i felt a world arise and live for me so that's spangler in uh in volume one decline of the west that sense of the faustian loneliness you know, yeah. I, I love that line so much. Faustian man is the loneliest of all of the world's cultures. And I think it's very true. Another thing that Spengler says is that Faustian man feels most uh, at home or like himself in the dead of night. Mm-hmm. While Greco-Roman uh, man, or Greeks, they, they feel most at, uh, like themselves at midday, at noon, high sun. It's just uh, very different uh, world feelings. That's one of the things that Spengler is also trying to do all throughout this is show how different faustian uh and classical man are yes so, uh, no yeah. but
1: that's that plays into everything i mean mediterranean art um the sensuousness of color um like like how the crowdedness of say raphael or even i mean you get inklings of faustian art in titian right his portraits of christ for instance uh but very much different than the the germanic high renaissance when you have like you know Bruegel, um you know rembrandt by the time you get to rembrandt you have the the sort of the full contextualization of the portrait the singular portrait um the sort the way that he approaches texture um is very very different and then you know further further north by the time you get to the you know the modernists and Edvard monk you have this very stark and dour individualistic type of artwork that can be somewhat alien to uh, the mediterranean spirit that's you know filled with this sort of sensuousness and celebration of beauty i mean there's crossovers as well there's always going to be those examples um Pusin, for instance is one of them where man directly is emerged within nature but also still has the crowd that becomes nature uh and so Poussin's like a very crossover type of artist but yeah but that's amazing one one point you were talking about uh rather the quote from spangler that talks about the germanic hero being uh you know walking alone uh i don't know if we, we started this discussion talking about anime but could that be why in the west there is this popularity of uh shonen mangas where it's like uh you know the 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 hero that goes on a lonely hero's journey. I mean, I wonder if this is, uh, you know, Faustian spirit trying to manifest itself once again, but now in the East. Because if there's like the the sort of similarities between the, um, you know, the Japanese experience and the Germanic experience, I wonder if there's still a, there's some weird crossover there. I wonder.
0: Indeed, there is one of the. Okay, so Spengler's m- most well known for his book The Decline of the West, but he he wrote a few other books, including one that was going to be this great. Honestly, it might have been even better than *Decline of the West*. It was going to be—I mm. um, forget exact title in English. Um, oh, so it's *Early Days of World History*. And one of the things that he says there, and also in another book, but it's that there's this melancholic world feeling that stretches from uh, from the Nordics all across to Japan, you know, mm. through the Arctic. This melancholic world feeling, and, and later on in that book on on Uh, The early days of world history. He was kind of uh, getting at this idea of a pre-cultural period, which he calls like Tehran. And that there was this uh, kind of, you can kind of think of like uh, Nietzsche's blonde beast, like the, the Aryan step hero that kind of like wandered all around that area um you know that just
1: like, explore space and conquer space and, and yes does what thou wilt. yes yes
0: it's the kind of the the proto-indo-european in a lot of ways kind of conquering the 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 step in a lot of ways just going everywhere and um he kind of brings with him that the sort of individualistic cult of the the individual hero and a, a melancholic world feeling as well and i think he specifically says that it's a, it's more into the north, right? You know, the the nord the Nordics, uh, the Arctic Circle, in Japan, possibly because of like the weather, right? You get more yes. of like a melancholic feeling. You know, that sort of ambient environment is going to, uh, in some way, influence your disposition. And uh, so, yeah, there's this weird connection that he does make to Japan. It's actually one of like the very few places where he talks about uh, Japan. He really doesn't get into Japan all that much in his writing, um, unfortunately. But, um, you know, regarding the uh, the anime thing, so he- here's one way of looking at it. Oh, one second. I'm okay, no. so very bad internet, so I thought it cut out for a second, but I think we're good. So what are the things he says about anime? Or he does not talk about anime. Sorry. What are the things that we can talk uh, say about anime?
1: We've re- we reincarnated him, and now he's talking <laughs> about anime. So. Well,
0: I, I don't maybe we don't need to get into this, but there is somebody who has been experimenting with um radical means of communication with Oswald Spangler's ghost. Yes. Yes, of I, course. I do you, Are you familiar with this?
1: Oh, yes. I'm very familiar with what you're about to say. Go ahead.
0: Uh, OK, well, there I've is this man. Them. We he's been in the news lately. He's controversial. So uh, I'll just say it's John David Ebert. He's obviously yes. well known for his series on, uh, on Decline of the West and, and art in general. But uh, in the last few years, he's had a, a serious interest with mediums and uh, talking to the dead. And uh, he's interviewed Spangler's spirit through yes. his, uh, his, his medium, Shruti Campbell. Uh, maybe we can uh, hire her services and then we can also get him on the, the next episode of uh, your podcast, get Spangler's Ghost on here. I don't know.
1: We'll make him, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tell him to read. He's probably already read uh, Berserk from the <laughs> so, you No, know, it's. We could talk to him about Berserk. That's probably.
0: Yeah. Um, but let's look at this like, through a Spenglerian lens. So one of the things that Spengler says um, can occur is this process called pseudomorphosis. Yes. Um, so what a pseudomorphosis is, it's a geological term um, from like mineralogy. So when you have a kind of a crystal or whatever, develop like in the ground, it'll have a certain shape, right? And let's just say for whatever reason, uh, the crystal or the rock inside that space, it kind of dissolves. So what you have is kind of like this empty space that exhibits, um, the natural crystalline structure of whatever came before it. And then what happens is that you can get the birth of something new inside of that space. Like you'll get, um, Shit, I don't really know my my minerals. But let's just say you get like a... I don't know. Certain like an emerald gemstones. Or, from- like an emerald or something that's like growing inside the space where previously there was like a bunch of quartz. So what yeah. happens is like that emerald will take on this unnatural shape of the quartz that came before it. And Spangler says the exact same thing can happen uh, with a culture that essentially... um if you have a very big and overpowering culture that's extremely strong, and he says like the Greco-Romans were extremely strong and that they kind of overshadowed a lot of other cultures, that the Magian culture, which we can kind of think of as like a combination of the Byzantines, of the Arabs, yes. the early Christians, um, that kind of sort of Middle Eastern world of early Christianity and then and of Islam, that it grew up inside the space left uh, by classical civilization, and therefore. There were a lot of unnatural elements to it that had to kind of like uh kind of work itself out uh, it took a long time um you think of the byzantine uh the outward forms of like something like the byzantine empire you know they still had like a lot of quote unquote like roman-ness to it but uh you know you look at its art you look at its religion mm-hmm. very yeah. alien to the classical world so, so if, yeah, to thing.
1: classical Greek, you know, Greek and Roman paganism, especially yes,
0: exactly yes, and, and especially the art. You think of how different it was. Like they you know, they no, weren't you... doing, um, they weren't doing the plastic arts or statues. They were obsessed with, uh, with like these fresco. Not frescoes. Are they frescoes? Like the all the paintings, like in the domes. When you think of like the Hagia Sophia they, and all. Yes, the, the they. Yeah,
1: a lot of them are frescoes. A lot of them uh, later on use tempera. Uh, yeah, this, so yeah, more or less fresco is still carried over if I recall. Yes.
0: Yeah. So fresco is, I guess, carried over from the classical, but even Spengler says what the classical really wants to do with fresco is to like take the individuals in the fresco out and actualize them as a, like as an actual body, uh, which you obviously see uh, with statues. And so that idea of pseudomorphosis, that's one thing. And Spengler also says, in particular for Japan, he calls it a moonlight civilization. Mm. Um, So what that means, what means? (laughs) uh, So the moon does not create its own light, obviously. It reflects. Exactly. It reflects the light of something greater, the sun, uh, in the case of the moon. And Spengler says a moonlight civilization is essentially a, a kind of like a cultural reflector. And for so long, Japan was just reflecting the light of China. Yeah. Yes. So much of what was going on in Japan was just the, the reflection of the Chinese. Well, and, even
1: literati penny, even Buddhism as well. Chan Buddhism then goes to Zen. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. But what happens in the process of Japanese modernization is it tries to kind of free itself from being like a moonlight civilization. It wants oh, to...
1: boy. Did they try? <laughs> yeah. 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 They... yeah.
0: Exactly, but the the irony there is that even in the process of modernizing, um, they didn't actually stop being a moonlight civilization. It's just they looked to a different source of light. Instead of looking mm-hmm. to China, they looked to the West. Uh, they adopted all these Western forms of politics. They were, you know, you know, uh, engaged with like Western ideas. Everybody was like reading like Herbert Spencer and social Darwinism. They were obsessed with Western learning uh, and Western techniques. Um, You think of like those, uh, what are they, like the, the Dutch studies in Japan, like all those like little Dutch port towns in the South oh, yes. of Japan where they were getting all this like Western information. So you just see the Moonlight Civilization, it goes from China to the West. Um, they love and French
1: architecture and, and French art as well, yes.
0: And this is all a long way of saying that that's anime, right? It's, mm, you know, yes, the, the, the Japanese, they've they've gone from... Um, you know, the Chinese to looking at the Chinese to looking at the West, and that's like why we see this sort of uh spiritual harmony, I guess, between uh, like you know, the Faustian man and his brooding loneliness, and then what we see reflected in Japanese art. In some sense, it's a it's it's Faustian art that's being transformed through this Japanese like uh, like Snapchat filter in some ways, you know,
1: <laughs> yeah, because anime, like, um was the creation of a lot of the indigenous styles and presentations for in Japan, whether it be no theater, um, a lot of the characterization that's very abstract and vague that comes from, you know, originally from China, then you get these like chibi characters. And by the time you get to Kabuki theater, which itself was this mix of like Western art and and, in Japanese sensibilities, it becomes like this sort of cosmopolitan theater, right? That was an abstraction from no theater. You know, anime comes along from like, you know, Western animation and mixed in with these Japanese sensibilities. And there's this constant theme. Even, um, I, I people know I love talking about this, even professional wrestling in Japan, strong style, purisu is a mix of like Southern wrestling from America and, and a lot of technical wrestling from Britain, from these people like uh, Billy Robinson that went over, um, yeah, from Australia and, and Britain uh and of course you know antonio noki takes it and takes these indigenous um fighting styles in japan from judo and so forth and creates uh this like weird eclecticism that then you know creates both japanese professional wrestling and uh mixed martial arts so yeah i mean that's totally will be another example of a moonlight civilization uh i know some people like for example our our really good friend logo Diatlas has this uh view of china being the the perfection of american uh republicanism that's sort of you know they they read the founding fathers there so therefore z ping is going to be the real um you know alexander hamilton 2.0 uh do you subscribe to the burglar uh, uh no i i think
0: <laughs> uh i think macarthur had the right idea he we should have launched the nukes but uh no, okay. I actually, I completely disagree. I think if you look at um, like what modern China is, um, there's certainly a break in continuity with like the, the ancient empires. Right. Yes. But I, I don't even think China, the way we think of China has existed, you know, for so long. It's not just like the, the downfall of the Qing dynasty. By the time of like the Qing dynasty, it was like uh, these Manchu war people wearing like the skin suit of like Confucian yeah. China. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I, I, you know, I've used this example in the past. I don't know how well it holds, but when we think of uh, the ancient Egyptians, do we like at all say that there's some sort of like civilizational continuity between who the ancient Egyptians were and modern Egyptians? No. Oh God, because no. it, it would be ridiculous, right?
1: right? But
0: for whatever reason, China gets a pass, and we we see some sort of like three thousand year old uh, continuous civilization with like unchanging values. Um, I think that's very silly. Uh, in terms of historiography, but at least with the advent of kind of like a secular Chinese state with um, the nationalists and then the communists, we do see some sort of break, but uh, so much of like what Chinese history has become is some sort of like attempt to show the unchanging, to show the continuation rather than the, uh, the change. And
1: yeah, even the creation uh, of the Han, in the conception of Mao is like this, he knew he had to create like a, you know, the communist party to create this, create this grand mythos of the Chinese people. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead yeah. yeah. It's
0: all invented. It's all fake. <laughs> um, the Han identity with like every couple of decades, it grows larger and larger and assimilates, you know, different people. The Han is uh, it's like BAPS it's like the Borg. It just like grows and assimilates <laughs> And it's not an organic category whatsoever. Um, I don't know. Regarding uh, China, some sort of like authentic American republicanism. uh, I don't, I don't know. I, for me, it's kind of hard to say that uh, China really ever got out of its kind of like Caesarist emperor phase. Like Mm -hmm. I I think in a lot of ways, it's just the the continuity or uh, the reverting back to some sort of like just strongman government. Um, you had like a, I guess like a brief interregnum with like all like the turbu- turbulence of um, after the Qing dynasty and then like the Chinese Civil War and then the Japanese invading. Uh, but I, I mean, you know, between Shang Kai Shek and and Mao Zedong and Xi Jinping, it seems like it's just you know back to emperor worship in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if they're really. And if you ask them, I guess, like they're good old communists in, in the in the CCP. I don't know. It's uh, it's complicated. There's a lot of, I guess, different ways to look at it, whether they're, you know, LARPing is Alexander Hamilton. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think that they have a very particular uh, identity. It's right. It's communism or socialism with like Chinese characteristics. They're trying to uh, yeah. square the circle in a lot of ways.
1: So you're saying that uh, Logodialis is not the greatest living sinologist of our time? Is that what you're trying to tell me here?
0: I'm saying there's a reason why I don't follow him on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, okay,
1: yeah, I know I, I have to I have to chat him, but no. But but interesting point would be that um, yeah, another example of a of a moonlight civilization, but also like when it comes to China, uh, like you were saying the strongman hero worship, but. It does seem that like geopolitically, um, the West has sort of uh, you know outsourced its own capacity to reproduce itself in terms of manufacturing and consumer capitalism that you know Faustian man has overcoated itself to such a degree that now we have to rely on like the outside. Uh, we have to sort of like, you know, deterritorialize our own space of economism. T- you know, towards the East. And I wonder if there's some kind of poetry or some kind of like dark um, fruition within that, you know, it's very interesting how that turned out when it comes to China, but yeah.
0: So in Spangler, he also wrote a little, I don't know if you call it an essay. Or let's just call it a booklet called man and Technics." Very yes. short, yeah. very accessible. It's actually the, the book I recommend to people if they want to read Spangler for the first time, because it's so short and it gets at some of Spangler's ideas. And in there, The whole book is about the advent of technology and how technology has been specifically important for the Faustian man. Um, It allows him to manipulate the world around him in a way that we don't see. Again, one of the hallmarks of Faustian man is just striving for the infinite to control all things. And technology has really just become a vessel for that. Yes. Um, What Spangler is lamenting in his age is he's seeing... Um, the way in which uh, you know European imperialism is basically planting the seeds of its own destruction, because you're seeing this diffusion of Western technology to the Third World. At some point in the essay or the booklet, he he's complaining about all these um, you know Western captains of industry who are teaching you know the Chinese and the Japanese uh, how to build these factories and how to create these machines just to make a quick buck, because he you know. You're basically handing them uh, the keys to the kingdom in a lot of ways, or the genies now yeah. out of the bottle, and you're going to basically give them the means to revolt in the long run. Uh, Wasn't and- that on-
1: prophetic? <laughs> it,
0: it very much was. And that um, completely right. And he predicted essentially what would go on in the 50s and 60s with uh, decolonization in Africa and Asia. Completely uh, bang on the money. And all of these decolonization and anti-colonialist movements um, you know very few of them if any were based on some sort of like uh, complete reversion back to uh, you know ancient tradition
1: oh god all of them all
0: of them were based on uh, this idea of synthesis how do we it's this a perennial question of change and continuity how do we preserve some sort of like authentic um, traditional civilizational identity while also using Western ideas of technology, politics, and, uh, and
1: well, warfare. Well, this was Franz fan on the rest. wretched of the Earth, you know, Parks Yes. Right? Yes.
0: Yeah. Use the West to beat the West is essentially what it boiled down to. And uh, Spengler was completely right. Uh, we should never have, have given them the machines. And a uh, Western man lost his, basically, his, his global hegemony. But now it still is maintained in this, like, kind of weird, uh, you know, economic structure in which, like, the dollars yeah. propped up. And uh, I don't know the if liberal your rules are too into based that, but... order, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: But of course, now it, it's funny how the West is annexing itself and its own identity for this very nebulous post history, uh, you know, post civilization state, like the, the global homogenous state, and how that's sort of, uh, you know, and you could even read Kojev into this, how that's very interesting how you know, Western Faustian man is extrapolated and, you know, how should I put it? Um, emanatized its own eschatology to such an extent that, to such an extent that um, Western man is now a non-category, is now a non-people in a non-place that, you know, most people in the West don't even think of themselves as living in a unique civilization, but rather maybe perhaps a unique sense of of order. Um, It just reminds me of all those all that discourse from like the, you know, before 2010s, uh, all, you know, the, the Mark Steins and the uh, Charles Murray's not Charles Murray, the other Murray, what's his name? Oh, uh, the, the British guy.
0: Oh, Douglas Murray.
1: Douglas Murray. Yeah. Like all those, yeah. like a, what is Western values against Islam? It's like, I don't know, freedom and gay marriage yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yes. Liberalism is when Douglas Murray can drive into a sketchy part of a city and give a little $10 this or a little $20 that to the down low brothers, but uh, I don't don't need to put him on blast for his, his appetite, but uh, yeah, I mean, you see definitely like the sort of discourse about um, no man, I'm just a citizen of the world or whatever. It is sort of extreme cosmopolitan uh, identity that uh, I mean, in some ways it is, it is kind of natural for this "Quote stage of the civilization," um, I'm sure that like you know the Romans, they had this idea of like uh, like of their imperium kind of extending, um, you know, to, throughout their empire. It was oh, yes. cosmopolitan uh, in a lot of ways. They were also able to, you know, gain the loyalty of, of many disparate peoples. Um, I think it's also an idea that starts with I'm I'm forgetting the exact Latin phrase but it's also an idea that starts with alexander the great's empire um maybe i'll I'll google it later but uh there is like a cosmopolitan element but the issue is uh we have the cosmopolitan values without the actual political control over the world in which it actually makes sense
1: exactly yeah no but that's that's a great point though um and geopolitically, I mean, we could see this nowadays. I and mean, we'll talk a little bit later about the, the Russia situation and Spangler's writings on Russia. But I, I guess now is a good time as any to talk about the work of art. Um, how did Spangler see the overtoppling? And and by the way, shout out to... He, I was talking a little bit about it with him, but my good friend, uh he'll love this. Um, how did Spangler see painting becoming the capstone of the artwork of of the sort of arrangement of the plastic arts in, in Western civilization, how did, how was sculpture overcome and how did sculpture lose its meaning? Even though sculpture persists, how did it lose its hold upon the Western imagination or rather classical imagination going into Western imagination? How did that happen um, in Spengler's analysis?
0: Okay. So first it should be said that, um, for Spangler, the painting probably isn't the apotheosis of of Western art. It's really music for Spangler. Music, yeah, yeah. Um, but there is still like that element of of overcoming the classical. Yes. So as you said, you know, if we say that the apotheosis of classical art is to be found in the the statues of of of, of a Myron and the Phidias, that. Um, you know, how does it that it's overcome? So if you look initially at the Western at Western art, this is kind of like the Gothic era. So I think around like 900 or whatever. Um, and think of like the birth of all these massive cathedrals. Um, you still have a lot of elements of the classical to be found within it. Uh, you get all yeah. those kind of like statues of like different sort of um, characters from like Christian religion or even just like, you know, actual people. Uh, that are like found um, on the um, what do you call it? The the facade of like uh, of different cathedrals. Um, I, I don't remember the exact I think I can actually. So, Spengler, if everybody's listening and is interested, at the back of Decline of the West, Spengler has these wonderful charts where he kind of maps all this cultural stuff out. And it's uh, it's really great. Yeah, he just has right. like a cathedral sculpture. And uh, at this point, like there is still sort of like a, a we- uh, sorry a classical pseudomorphosis uh, to be found within the Gothic style. Um, if you look at like the those statues, but what happens? What Spengler says is that oftentimes within these cultural developments, you see some sort of kind of um, some sort of like revolt, and yeah. that's like really what the Renaissance represented for Spengler. Um, there was kind of this revolt in the West against the Gothic style. And rather than like an overcoming of the pseudomorphosis, it actually kind of leaned itself more into it. You know, you think of like where the Renaissance really happened. This is like an Italian movement. This is happening in the Epimethean South, where, you know, things are looking backwards rather than the the Promethean vision of the the future. Yeah, it's Hellenism,
1: essentially. Yes, it's the Hellenist revival.
0: Exactly. they're they're going back to all of these uh, you know Greco-Roman ideals. They're uncovering all of these um you know statues uh, and works of art, and they're you know getting all of these Greek texts from the the downfall of Constantinople, and there's right the the rebirth that is associated with it. and they're trying to kind of work itself out. And what Spangler says, though, and this is one of the things that is kind of always, I don't know. I've always had a hard time with it because it seems Mm. like he's kind of stretching the argument here where he's saying that, um, you know, even in this Renaissance art where you see like the rebirth of like a classical style, that even uh, in the depth of it, you still see something very Faustian. Mm. One of the things he says is that like, even when you look at like Michelangelo's David, that there's still some sort of soul that you feel emanating from the sculpture that you don't feel in classical art for the classical art it's all about um appearance there's no soul inside of it that you can kind of ascertain it's purely a visual uh i guess visage almost um completely without soul uh it's extremely apollonian in a lot of ways there's no depth to it there's just like the bodily structure but what he's saying is that something like very much eyes something in the eyes of Michelangelo's David, the veins of his hand, you get the sense of an inner coursing being within him that you don't see in Greek art. Um, and in that sense, you can kind of feel that Michelangelo was sculpted by a Faustian man, that there is this sense of the individual I am that just kind of is shouted from the sculpture.
1: Exactly. And even like the declining uh, in, in the West, sort of by the time you get to the 19th century, way ahead of the renaissance um i would say that academicism is also this dramatic contrast between what is like very i would say dead and formalistic and very much um rational and apollonian as opposed to the pure dionysianism of something like impressionism i mean compare compare even like um will be a good example even like, a, like an early Mammoth, compare that to, uh, you know, <laughs> to Bouguereau. And you'll see like that dramatic contrast. But that, so I don't know, but maybe Spengler is probably stretching the argument. But because there is other people that say that like Greek art has a life to itself and does have a spirit within the excellence of it, within the excellence of the body. Um, I know that's what, uh, oh, what's the art critic? The first art critic. Um, Wangelman? Is that how do you pronounce his name? Uh, I don't know. I
0: I don't really. Are you thinking Vinkelmann or? Vinkelmann. Vinkelmann. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 The uh, like there's still like, what would you say? Do you think that maybe Spangler was making too much of it? That distinction? I mean, there there certainly is a sort of excellence in a spirit within the Greek sculpture. Um, but
0: yeah, I, I think the more I've studied it, the more I think actually Spangler uh, is kind of correct. Uh, you think of Nietzsche's, um kind of discussion of Greek aesthetics and the birth of tragedy, the Apollonian versus the Dionysian. Um, it's that Dionysian element that we see in Michelangelo's David that we don't see in um, the Polycletus statue. Mm, you yeah. know, do you, you don't get any sort of sense of the inner world in Polycletus. Um, there's no sort of the individual in the world experiencing being as such, but there's something kind of, hollow but extremely still beautiful uh in classical sculpture and another thing that spengler points out is that um the faustian uh, faustian art is obsessed with the individual and correctly getting getting the individual right yes while classical sculpture you know everybody is sculpted as to type so it's kind of always like the exact same type for um, the wise old man pontificating or for like the soldier um it's always sculpted as to a type rather than correctly getting the features of the indi- individual uh, correct you know think of rembrandt as like the 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 faustian artist par excellence in terms of correctly getting somebody in portraiture yes uh, and that's something you just don't really see uh, in likeness classical art yeah exactly
1: yeah well even even polycletus, if you look at it like the way that um the way that the hip muscles attach to the core, the way that uh, the kneecaps are constructed, it very much is like if you're taking, say, um, a drawing aid, like a very rigid structure, like, say, Bridgman, right? And, And then you're, like, applying it to, like, the human form. I mean, it's good to, like, get the feel of it, but eventually, like, your own intuitive sense of looking directly at that muscle structure, like, that's obviously very different to get likeness of it. But whereas, like, with the Greeks, you do have this very, this rigidness, this rigidity to the way that they have this perfected form, Um, which, I mean, some people nowadays, they would say that, I mean, they would say that's a good thing, that it's very rigid, that you should aspire to this classical archetypal man uh, with the glorious, uh, you know, rippling physiques. but, um, But no, but then there is this, like, sensuousness and this likeness towards, by the time you get to Rembrandt, I mean the the way that his like the portraits are such are filled with light right. and filled with like the direct characterization not just likeness in terms of correct proportion or correct um you know correct facial features, but the way that they they carry on a sort of expression like that's what the key difference is. you get the sort of the individualization of the work of art um I guess maybe that's what Spangler was talking about, right so yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Absolutely. That, but then, organic. how does
1: music become like the? Yeah. But sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Spangler. Sorry. No.
0: Let's actually talk about music. It's, uh. It's a good. It's a good point to bring it in the music. So one of the things that I guess Spangler is talking about. I don't know why I say that. I think. I guess I need to work on my public speaking skills. Spangler. <laughs> Spangler is saying that there's a sort of uh, process and development that you see at play uh, in a culture's art. Now, for the greeks this was um the emphasis on the body so greek art actually kind of begins musically you think of like a lot of those like spartan um, musicians um like terpander alkman these are kind of like like musical poets like lyricists Mm. uh in a lot of ways
1: like bards.
0: yeah like, like bards um but they're also creating like poetry not just like homeric bards but like they're if you listen to like the, their instruments as well, like the, what is it? The, the, Aulos, I don't know how to pronounce it. That's like kind of like that Greek double flute thing. A lot of the music that they're producing, if you listen to like the reproductions of it, you can kind of get the sense of it. There's not a lot of harmony. It's based on kind of like this uh, on structure, the yeah. structural element of it. Um, there's like a lot of, yeah, we'll just leave it at structure and you get this, Almost bodily sense, like Spangler says, that was kind of uh, plastic for the ear, right? It was kind of Mm -hmm. like a a sort of sculpture for the ear to kind of uh, for the Greek to kind of enjoy, but it's quickly kind of abandoned, and you see the emergence of these more uh, you know frescoes within uh, Greek art. And what happens is there's kind of this um, pseudomorphic influence. You think of like the Egyptians, like Egyptians had extremely large uh, statues that kind of portray their, you know, oh yeah, their, uh, their pharaohs and whatnot. But um, one thing that Spangler says is interesting is that uh, Egyptian sculptures, they're always supposed to be meant to be viewed from the front. And he's he's right. Like, you think of it, mm-hmm. like it's always like a, a front, um, this idea of like the, you're supposed to be viewing it from the front. Like, there's not like a whole lot of interesting details like on the side or even behind it. But you think of like Greek sculptures and it's actually three-dimensional. You can see the body and nearby space all around it. So that's an interesting idea. But um, Mm. back to the frescoes, Um, the Greek artist is basically trying to pull the individuals within the frescoes out of like off of the wall and put them into real third dimensional space. Um, That's basically the the development of Greek art for Spengler in a lot of ways. Now, if you look back to uh, the Faustian West, it's kind of a very different um, development. So it's starting with the the sculpture in a lot of ways because of the influence of the greeks and you see it within the gothic cathedral and you see it within the renaissance um but it's not exactly um, intuitive to faustian man and Spengler says it's kind of a fad that you know dies out like rather quickly like the renaissance is somewhat short-lived and then you know art and uh its heyday moves up north you know you think of like albrecht durer Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, the kind of like northern renaissance in a lot of ways. And that's kind of a significant shift away from Greco Roman ideals being revived in art. And there's a, actually, you know, a very, you know, there's a broodiness at play within uh, his art. And it's also extremely uh, detailed if you look at a lot of his um, his engravings, I guess. Yeah, the,
1: the wood, the wood engravings and also yeah the, the wood cuts. Engravings. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, and for Spengler, he's saying that there's this kind of process of etherealization, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, the, the, the beginnings of abstraction come about come from this as well, yes.
0: Yeah, so for for Faustian Man, if he wants to, you know, portray his innate idea of infinite space, um, the sculpture is just not going to be a great avenue for that. And consequently, it's abandoned. Like, one of the things that Spengler says is, uh, if you look at the entirety of, of Faustian sculpture, uh Actually, kind of like a short list.
1: Mm. Like
0: you, if you put it in comparison to to music or to painting, there's not really that much sculpture. An interesting idea that uh, we kind of put all of our I don't know if it's like a video game. Like we're putting all of our cultural points in different um, <laughs> in different uh, skill branches or something. So we're focused- exactly, and um, so within within the painting we see this process of um i'm trying to think of where we should start let's just actually go back to music so spangler he creates this division uh between the castle and the cathedral so the castle is uh, interested in like the troubadours like that sort of style of music mm-hmm. um just kind of, of secular that,
1: like, music as well yeah
0: yes yeah he calls it secular music uh you know ideas of like chivalry um, kind of a celebration of life. I mean, of course, like, these people are coming from like the south of France, so of course the weather's nice, so they're all happy. Uh, chivalry, just uh, romances. Uh, this is the sort of thing that interests uh, the secular music of the troubadours. But in in the cathedral, you know, Spengler says this interesting line: um, the cathedral is music, while the castle makes music. So the castle has its court and it has its musicians that kind of just like entertain and perform to kind of uh, to entertain and to make people enjoy the music, which is very yeah. sensuous and just pleasant to the ear. But the cathedral, there is like this greater music at play. Um, you know, Spengler, he, he's, I think he's right when he's talking about, uh, you know, music for Western man of the highest spiritual sense really should be played inside of the cathedral because you get the sense of like the, the vaulted ceilings of a, of a Gothic cathedral and the infinite sense of space that the music also Um, kind of portrays as it um, takes up that infinite space of the, of the vaulted ceilings. So you have the the castle that
1: highs, it's enveloping that space of the cathedral. Yeah,
0: exactly. And there's also the sense of, of harmony as well. You think of uh, the Gregorian chants and everybody singing together this deeper, this deeper resonance. And then you think of um, the musical instrument, the, the organ and, and you think of some Bach music and the, the deep notes of of the organ playing and the whole cathedral kind of shaking. And you can kind of feel this whole organism like come to life um, with someone like Bach. Mm. There's like this greater spiritual element. And what Spengler is saying is both the music and the painting is that it's tending toward this etherealization of becoming, uh, he says, even like the paintings are becoming music in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. And Yeah. Uh, I guess that, that that's what it really is just like this tendency toward um, like releasing uh, like a release from matter, a release from the body and like pure Germanic spirit. That's, oh that's yeah.
1: Cool. By the time you get to the 20th century, I mean, you have, um, you know, lyrical abstraction, you have Georgia O'Keeffe, you have this sort of attempt at painting to represent um, music itself. And that's very, an interesting idea how, Uh, kandinsky really i mean kandinsky is spenglarian in that sense of the painting trying to reflect spirit and music and so forth um but it is funny though how well i mean film nowadays and like the moving image but music still carries with it uh i in the one sense still like there is this high culture but also there's this vulgarization into like optimism. Into like youth culture, the way that we think of it, from like the late 20th century to nowadays, like you know, music is such an integral part of like quote unquote youth culture that it really defines identity in ways that other mediums can't. In ways that I, you know, I mean, it's it's (laughs) it's unfortunate for me as a painter and you know as a printmaker, but like in ways that like fine art and the plastic arts can't, like music has really taken up like the template. But I would say cinema as well nowadays. Know, did Spangler talk about cinema at all or no? Uh,
0: no, he really didn't. I mean, he died in uh, 1936. So kind of like before um, I think movies really became like great. Uh, yeah. Like, think of like what movies were like in his day. Not really that great. Um, not really like a high uh, medium of art as they would later become, especially in like the, uh, I guess like the 40s and the 50s and 60s.
1: Oh, yeah. But it's funny though, in Germany, you had the inklings of that though in terms of what film could become. I mean, Metropolis came out in, um, was it the 20s or 30s? I forget. But yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. But it's funny how like cinema and the moving image then replaces all of this, you know, even in, I wouldn't say replace music, but in certain ways, I mean, the pop culture industry is like this weird union of music and, and film or television. Uh, it's kind of like hard. I mean, I wonder what Spengler would think of like the digital media. Uh, nowadays like sort of like a, a blending of all experience together it's like what can you even call culture nowadays right so
0: i mean i i think you'd start perhaps looking at um just photography i think there's something yeah. very faustine in photography in terms of you're just trying to capture the exact likeness of something and photography does it better than um perhaps any painter ever could because it's you know, quite literally capturing it but um at the same time like you're, you're kind of it's a it's not a high art form in a lot of ways it's a mm. degeneration you know i mean i don't know i'm the. i think art uh photography is is fine it's cool but uh it's not of the same high spiritual caliber as, as right. like music or painting but uh but there is something very Faustian in it, right it's uh, the same thing as as Rebrandt, rembrandt as we were talking about the capturing of likeness so oh, yeah, yeah. to its credit i suppose
1: Oh, exactly. Um, but also Spengler. uh, when it comes to, you want, you, you made a note that, um, you, you wanted to mention the color brown because Spangler has this great color analysis, you know, speaking of Kandinsky, who also like, if you, you know, you read, um, his book on the spiritual and art, like how each color and each symbol has like a direct link to each other, uh, read as a certain affect and, you know, the, the arrangement of it. But Spangler talks about the patina or the color brown. That's very important in terms of like what it represents in Faustian civilization. Uh, you wanted to talk about that before we move on to another topic. But uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, so absolutely. One of the things, so when I was first reading Spangler, I was, you know, not at all educated on matters of, of art history or anything like that. So this was a lot of this went over my head the first time I was reading it. But uh, when I got to his like multi-page Spurg out over the color brown, that's when I realized I was reading the work of a great man. Uh, He spends like quite a few pages just Spurging out over how important the color brown is to Faustian man. Mm. And uh, it's an interesting, you know, argument. So what he's saying that there is a sense of overcoming nature in this emphasis on the brown. He says that brown is like the only color you don't see uh, in the rainbow.
1: Hmm,
0: and yeah. therefore it's kind of outside of the purview of nature. So when you see this kind of uh, brown light that emanates in Western uh, art, especially like the Dutch masters and Rembrandt, you know, everything's like these hues of of, uh, of a brown really.
1: Yeah. They come from sepia and modern Lake and different earth colors like umbers. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: So it's uh, what he's saying is that there's kind of like this this overcoming of nature, um, you know, outside of like the laws uh, that govern kind of like how how light really should be. Like there shouldn't really be that sort of like brown light. Like where in nature do you really see a brown light? Um, you really don't. And that's kind of contrasted against uh, what he says uh, were kind of like the the real colors of classical civilization, which he say are kind of like the the warmer colors, like yellow and red. But uh, it it does make sense though this this greenish brownish hue that you see in the West because again like where is the West from It's from the dark and murky forests of Germany where everything's kind of greenish and brownish uh, You know we, we are forest yeah. dwellers in a lot of ways.
1: But it's um, funny how that abstraction from natural color is then equated with color, with, like, equated with nature though, because brown tones are always like denoted for the earthiness and the symbolism of it. And also like just in terms of, um, you know, the realist landscape painting, uh, you know, Brown was often used as like, that is like the cult, the primary color of, of uh, you know, of, of creating the landscape itself and creating Grisaille as well. What's behind the, the fully developed painting, the sketches in Brown. Uh, but it's very funny how that works that way of course by the time you get impressionism now brown leaves the scene now it becomes about those primary colors that are worked in such a way as to reflect the light and shadow right so no now brown exits the you know the sort of the umbers and the siennas they exit the stage of shadow work now it becomes uh, the blues and the natural colors and it's like almost like impressionism is this weird return to form
0: yeah, yeah. Or for Spengler, it's a kind of like a degeneration. It's a departing of um, what is natural to Faustian man because so much of it, you know, has been exhausted by the 1800s. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm going to read another little bit of Spengler because Spengler, you no, know, this is something that Spengler doesn't get credit for. The Decline of the West is so poetic at so many different points. Um, oh yeah, I would highly recommend if anybody listening to this thinking this large tome of. The philosophy of history is going to read something like like Hegel or something extremely, um, you know, onerous and difficult to read. It's really not. It's extremely accessible and it's beautiful. So now I'm going to read this atmospheric brown, which was entirely alien to the Renaissance, is the unrealist color that there is. It is the one major color that does not exist in the rainbow. There is white light and yellow and green and red and other lights of the most entire purity. But a pure brown light is outside the possibilities of the nature that we know all the greenish brown silvery silvery moist brown and deep gold tones that appear in their splendid variety with Georgione grow bolder and bolder and the great Dutch painters and lose themselves toward the end of the 18th century have the common quality that they strip nature of her tangible actuality they contain therefore what is almost a religious profession of faith. We feel here, uh, we feel that here, we are not very far from Port Royal, from Leibniz. With Constable on the other hand, who is the founder of the painting of civilization, It is Mm. a different will that seeks expression. And the very brown that he had learned from the Dutch meant to him, not to what it had meant to them. Destiny, God, the meaning of life, but simply romance, sensibility, yearning for something that was gone, memorial of the great past of the dying art. And uh, yeah, I'll end it there. But uh, yeah, there is sort of that more earthy uh, soil aspect that you see um, that's very much at play in the Faustian man. Again, it's kind of relating back to its, its roots in the uh, the forest, but to also bring in what you mentioned, the patina. Yeah. So one of the things that Spangler says is the reason why we're all so obsessed with uh, the Greek marbles is because they're ruins that because they're not at their in their heyday if they were and they were painted with like their their red and yellow colors uh we wouldn't
1: like we they, wouldn't they like were it painted really. as uh, by by poc people remember that they were painted as, <laughs> yeah so that's what they yes. say that's the argument the fame the, the famous viral tweet so uh yeah yeah historian we, here uh is art historian here um they were all by poc people painted yeah go ahead
0: <laughs> we was greeks Um, but think about it. Like I want to look at the, uh, the, the touch-ups of Greek, uh, sculptures and buildings. And I want to say, I like it, but I really don't like when I see it has like all of like the, the flashy colors and like that, um, all the statues were actually painted
1: Mm. with
0: how the people actually looked. With like you know peach skin and
1: blonde, they look hair kitschy. They look kitschy. It
0: looks extremely kitsch. I do yeah. not like it. And so that's what, one of the things that Spangler is saying that if we saw it how it, how it actually was, we'd be like, "What the hell is this shit? It looks fucking awful." Yeah. But because it has this patina to it, there's this, there's this, uh, there's this sense of time and temporality to
1: it. Yeah, yeah,
0: that um, we really get to see uh, um. Because one of the things that Spengler says is that Faustian man is obsessed with time and the procession of time. Well, for the classical man, he has no real sense of time that uh, he doesn't yeah. really care about uh, the veracity of ancient history or whatever. He can kind of just like play fast and loose with it. Um, but for us, we see it like, wow, this is, you know, from ancient times, from a, from a bygone era. And it's just so remarkable that we see the literal effect of time with which we're so obsessed on the marble we see the how uh, time has weathered it away and how it's you know grown like mossy and a little decrepit in a lot of ways and we're just you know we're fascinated with it that's kind of like our um our not what's the word there like we're obsessed with decay in a lot of ways
1: yeah that's why Anselm Kiefer is like really I I think one of the best examples of a painter who plays with this cosmology of decay and time I mean that's what John David Eber talks about in his book um, art after metaphysics. But it's funny though, like how in some ways returning to that sense of ahistoricalness, even in the in the work of art, um, as uh I argue in my upcoming book. But uh, you know, it's like funny how like we think of this like new ahistorical postmodern being as like this wholly original thing, but in some ways it's like a return to form of going back to the earth as bangler said of not really a blonde beast but let's say um the, the bug man of history that lacks a history is like a, re- a weird return to those originary natures of civilization on its declining end it's sort of like how you know you come into this world in diapers and in the old folks home you go out of this world in diapers It's like this weird, uh, you know, inverted form of of originary nature. How the fact that like most people lack a history nowadays or history becomes this like abstraction or referent. Right. Um, And it's funny what you said about the statue, about how it doesn't have the same connotation. That's, you know, Spangler is exactly where Heidegger is getting his essay, you know, on the origins of the work of art, how the artwork can die because it lacks that, um gravity that comportment in a culture uh it's funny there's like so many points between spangler and heidegger that like you know people that are you know brave enough in modern academia to study heidegger they really sort of overlook the spanglerian element right because of course like i know like a lot of people that still take heidegger seriously they try to uh well you know
0: yeah downplay
1: certain affiliations politically but you
0: know Oh yeah, we can. That's that's a whole other can of worms. I do think Heidegger had a a bad tendency of kind of just like plagiarizing from the people that he read, yeah, and then just being very very annoying in his dismissals of them. I'm not a fan of Heidegger personally, but um,
1: really, we,
0: yeah, yeah. I I just I don't. It's very interesting to me that uh, so what Being in Time came out in 1927, and Spangler doesn't say a single word about it. I, I don't think he had any sort of interest in Heidegger or academic philosophy of that time. Mm. I don't know. Heidegger is just not my thing. But um there are a lot of good Heidegger weebs out there, I guess. So uh oh, I, I won't yeah. I won't say that they're all bad. But um regarding uh crap, what were we talking about? I kinda of a lost historical
1: of postmodern about. man. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this is what Spengler calls like the the fellaheen. Um this is a kind of like a person stripped of any sort of like greater historical purpose. But another thing that's important to say is that this is kind of like the, the life that most people live, even in the, the good days of culture. Oh, yeah. It's only really just like the aristocracy and the great men that are um, even capable of actualizing whatever potentialities there are within a culture. Um, and, and a great man is a very expansive here. It includes artists, philosophers, architects, um, but also politicians and generals and kings and, and all that great stuff. So, uh, but yeah, the, the mass of humanity will always live kind of like an ahistorical peasant sort of existence.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they live to the earth. They're wedded to the earth, as he says over and over again in like the second half of Decline of the West. Um, or they're, well, now they're wedded. I, I guess they're no longer wedded to the earth, but it is it is interesting though that we have this obsession over the democratization of knowledge, but yet those forms still play out where the vast majority of humanity nowadays has access to the information that only the aristocrats cared about, but their taste is more vulgar and stupid and low IQ than ever. Or, or like we li- we love the pretense of intellect and we love the pretense of high culture, but it's mediated through like very like low culture memes, like, like uh, sorry, memes, but also memes. Yeah. But I guess memes as well. Like you mentioned, um, Noah Harari, there was this tweet that went around uh, recently. Um, like, what is a stupid person's, you know, what is a stupid person's view of a smart person? Like, who's a mm. smart person to stupid people? And, of course, like, people posted Noval uh, Harari. I posted Elaine DeBottom, but, like, of course, people are, you know, usually posting the, you know, Hitchens, uh, Lex Friedman, Jordan Peterson. Like, it's, it's very funny how at the time that we're obsessed with the democratization of knowledge yet we still have such low like low level barely sentient interests but we love the pretense of intellect more than the actuality of it um, yeah. yeah well
0: aristocracy is in the blood right it's uh it's not about accessibility so uh,
1: right.
0: we're right i guess if it were about accessibility we'd live in the most accessible age ever uh we would be teeming with uh with Goethe's and michelangelos but we're clearly not. And we're not even a shadow of, uh, of those ages. So Spangler's right when he's saying that there, it's, it's something different. It's, it's about like the aristocracy. It's about great men, what they actually want to do. And one of the things, and maybe you're not going to like to hear this, but, uh, you know, Spangler says, uh, at this point when he's writing the book, you know, art is essentially dead. Um,
1: yeah, you, yeah. You,
0: you might basically get like a, a, few, uh, great works of art, but they're, they're really the mastery of the self rather than some sort of indication of the culture as a whole.
1: Right. Like they, they, yes. They, yes.
0: Yeah. They stand out in the background and if you look in the background it's all just trash and filth and kitsch. Um so in this post-cultural world, civilization, right? That's like what civilization is. It's post-culture. Exactly. What do you do? What do you do if you have these sort of creative impulses and you want to, you know, you know do something and be great? Well, you look at like what the other civilizations were doing at their um comparative stage in their development so like we're basically entering in the the period of uh, of late roman republican politics with the emergence of the caesars the building of empires um you know the romans were very into engineering and eventually creating aqueducts and all sorts of amazing uh feats of engineering that's a period we live in now so the you know faustine man's creative energies are no longer going into the arts but they should be going into i guess elon musk uh riding rocket ships around the universe (laughs) and
1: uh yeah and
0: uh things of that nature and uh yeah you know one of the one of the things that spengler this is my favorite quote i'm gonna have to find it i got my book here i'm flipping through it one of the best quotes uh within English decline to the west, and it's where you really see that this is a kind of a call for young men. He says, "And I can only hope the men of the new generation be moved by his uh, by this book to devote themselves to technics instead of lyrics, the sea instead of the paintbrush, and politics instead of epistemology." Oh that no! Is, they not do. So yeah, it's it's time to. Oh uh,
1: no.
0: It's time oh! to delete your podcast and uh, become a lawyer.
1: It's it's time to, yeah, take down my easel. Uh, yeah, get get rid of my jeweler's loop. For making, you know? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, this is like he took the Varg pill. That's a you know Varg Vikner's. Uh, he denounced doing music, and now he's like, well, you know, you have to devote yourself to the coming apocalypse. So so uh, I wonder maybe if Varg is a Faustian figure. I mean, he did essentially create like a whole new version of music and metal itself. So it's probably, I don't know. Is Varg a Spanglerian figure? Probably. Um, I don't
0: know. I just, I really don't know that much about Varg other than the, um
1: <laughs> the when I saw stuff. on
0: Twitter about his daughter or something. Oh God. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to get into that.
1: Yeah. Very deep lore, but uh no, but it's very fascinating though. I mean, but it's funny because everyone that came after Spangler has also declared the death or even came before him. Uh, Hegel declared the death of art. Then after Spangler, Arthur Danto declared the death of art, Um, you know, but yeah, still art persists in some ways. And if anything, you would say that um, the art that like the the art that matters to a civilization nowadays is just the art that's terrible. Um, The art that becomes hyper-political kitsch a uh, neoliberal kitsch but uh no but that's that's a very pertinent it's a very pertinent view how even spangler said it was exhausted um and you know I mean, by the time you get to the you know cinema and the moving image uh, a lot of people have speculated that you know that's the end of painting that's it you know i mean the moving image be, you know takes over from the narrative for function of painting itself so it's very interesting that way um one thing that I, I wanted to ask you uh, before we get into Spicer topics. Uh, and by the way, at the time of recording this, this very day, I don't know if you've been browsing Twitter while we were talking, but I just saw my notifications. Apparently Ted Kaczynski has died.
0: On no. The yeah. On the Are you serious?
1: Yeah. No, he's died. Yeah. They declared. His, yeah. Yeah. He's dead. Oh my um, gosh. I know. Um,
0: rest in peace to a real one.
1: Rest in peace to Ted Kaczynski. Um I think, like to tie in though, what would you, what would you think from a Spenglerian perspective of anarcho-primitivism and the sort of Kinszinski critique of the modern world and technics? Um, I mean, to keep it with the theme of uh, you know him his, his untimely death. Um, yeah,
0: he's. I, I feel like the, uh, the the Trump video. Like really, you're, you're, you're telling, telling me, me this the for first the first time?
1: time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was so an amazing like man. He led an amazing <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah Yeah, Um, holy cow there's a a lot to process right now um i mean yeah so kaczynski and the the whole machine right now for spangler spangler is actually saying that you should probably uh kind of master the machine well ted just wants to like you know completely tear it down right he wants to quite literally bomb it out of existence total butlerian
1: jihad yeah
0: exactly um, for Spengler, yeah, uh, he really saw, you know, what made Faustine civilization in particular so amazing and unique was its goal to understand the world as it truly was. That's the the significance of like our great astronomers, of the the Copernican revolution, not to just kind of dogmatically understand, uh, you know, the structure of the cosmos but to boldly uncover it and to understand it as it really is. Mm. And other cultures didn't have that sort of impulse. Like maybe you say, oh, the Greeks were doing these sorts of calculations, but they didn't have like the technology, you know, to, to really test everything, to test everything.
1: Thank you for listening to the content minded podcast where every Wednesday, there are interesting guests, amazing ideas, solo streams and discussions on a diverse array of topics from art, philosophy, history, and more. The free version will be available both here on YouTube and as a downloadable link on Anchor and Spotify, as well as on Substack. Each week, the full, uncensored, and spicier version will now be available on both Patreon and Substack, where you will have access to the full archive of both content-minded and of giant Reviews, where I break down interesting texts every week, including other exciting paywalled articles and good content. Thank you all. Please like, share, and subscribe. God bless. Goodbye. Help keep the content renaissance alive. Too sweet.